All right. Finding hope when you have nothing. 2 Kings 4, 1-7. This is a unique topic. Have you guys ever been in a place where... Uh, <laughs> yes, fears hit. Anxiety hits. Concerns uh, see, sometimes Christians don't use the word worry because the Bible says don't worry. And if you don't use the word, then you're not really worrying. You just say, well, I'm concerned. You ever you flip the words and it, it, swap them out? Believe me, God knows. <laughs> he knows your heart and what you're struggling with. I've had concerns and worries all through life. We all do. Um, sometimes, uh, and by the way, those emotions are natural. Okay? Those emotions are natural. Fear is a natural emotion. Sometimes it can save your life. <laughs> you know? Uh, uh, love, hate, all these feelings that seem to come up. And worry is a natural response to certain uh, circumstances that arise. But we're called not to live and stay in those places. We're supposed to recognize that we surrender those emotions and those concerns so that we don't live from a place of ego or flesh. That we instead live from the abiding life of Christ already in us. So I want to share a story with you from the Old Testament. And the reason I'm sharing this particular story is because I've had my own wrestlings the last little while. Uh, just up and down, emotions, you name it, flying all over the last four to six months kind of trying to sort through difficulties, trying to sort through a path, a plan. What's the future going to look like? Uh-oh, am I gonna, are we going to be okay financially? Like I'm talking about personal family stuff. You name it. Not, not that any of you ever have personal financial struggles at all. Holy smokes. There are times in our lives, especially with Lori and I, we've, we've faced some pretty heavy-duty things. There are times in our, our marriage where we wonder, where are we going to end up? Like, we got hardly any income, uh, and what are we going to do? These bills are piling up. Oh, we got this huge bill. What are we going to do with that? And I got to tell you, thank God for hindsight. Like, seriously, it's 2020. I get to look back, and I can see God still providing. Not the way I wanted, and not quite with the timing that I had anticipated, because when I pray for an answer or prayer, I wanted to answer my prayer with my vision, with my plan and my path. Here, God, here's the PowerPoint. All right? That, that's how we pray. Rarely, until you develop a closer intimacy with God, rarely do we pray, Father, I commit all this. I entrust you with this because clearly I can't control a thing. Control is an illusion. It is. We need to realize that. And so I remember one time we, when we first moved to KW, Lori was telling me about this yesterday, reminding me. And I had a similar fear, but her, she, she came to a place of, dear God, what are we going to do? We have neighbors from hell. We saw their horns. <laughs> probably did too. Anyway, um, there was anxiety. We couldn't sell our house. We were trying to. It wouldn't work. We, were, we wanted to move real bad. There was just some weird tension in that place. I don't know what it was. The very first day we moved in, I fell down the, the, the slope of the driveway because it was snowing and it was moving in day. I was the first one there. Didn't know it had a heated driveway until like spring. 
<laughs> you know, it was on a slant like this, which is why you have a heated driveway. Anyway, it was just one thing after another went wrong, wrong, wrong. And I always had this optimistic hope. Hey, it's going okay to be okay, Lord. It's going to be great. And usually I'm mostly like that. So when we tag team and trade places, it's probably not good for Lori. She has to encourage me a lot, <laughs> you know. But there was a particular time, if I'm, hopefully I'm telling the story right, um, she had to surrender it and say, God, I don't know what you have in store here. We, we're trying to sell. It's not working. Are you actually in charge? You know, um, what do we do here? And uh, I, I think it was around the same time I'm having my own fears, probably the biggest fears I ever had, because I was afraid we're going to lose everything, like everything, because of the way the house in Fort Erie still hadn't sold. You name it, just a big conflict. And then Lori and her wisdom... Mike, I thought you believed in this grace stuff. <sighs> you know, how about practicing what you preach? <sighs> Not good. It's like being in a bad mood and your spouse says, have you had your devotions today? <laughs> Don't do that. It's not helpful. <laughs> but we both experienced from the same situation, God, are you providing? Are you, are, are you really going to take care of this? And I remember the very first night we moved to Elmira. Uh, it, was, it was absolutely amazing. Although the first night was a really busy night on the road in front of our house with trucks. We thought, oh, crud, what do we do? <laughs> but it became a place of peace. Our move from Waterloo to Elmira, it was almost instant peace. It was just, you can't plan that kind of thing. And looking back, I still see God having his hand in stuff. And I like to sort things out quickly. I like to plan and prepare and have backup plans for just in case that happens. And did anybody else like that? A little bit? Yeah. Well, the last four months, uh, I can't do that. Uh, and I'm trying. I'm still trying. My personality is who I am. But I'm having to yield and give it up more often, more often than I want to admit. So this story... Yeah, I'm preaching to me today. Yeah, you can listen in. <laughs> but really, this is, this is a lesson for me to be reminded. And when I came to the last verse I'm going to share today, <gasps> oh yeah, brace yourself. That means you can't tune out folks watching on live. <laughs> you got to watch the end. It, the last verse is like the left hook of beauty. You'll like it. Okay, let's get into this awesome story that many of you may not have heard. Some of you who are well-churched will have heard it perhaps once or may have forgotten about it. And it goes like this. I should turn my remote on, then I actually have control. 2 Kings 4, verses 1 to 7. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband, who served you, is dead. Dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me what you have in the house. Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. Okay. And Elisha said, hmm. Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. 
So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now, sell the olive oil, pay off your debts, and you and your sons can live on whatever's left over. Wow. This is a scary picture. The beginning of the story that's not, that was not shared, she's, she's in a very, very, very difficult place. She's got nothing. No husband, no income, no money, no food, no prospects of things getting better. She had two sons, but the creditors came to get them as slaves. This is a dire situation. Now, I'm not sharing the story to say, well, you should compare your situation to this one. It doesn't work like that. Only guilt trip people do that, meaning religious people. All right? This is not about comparing. This is about observing and seeing the power of God in all circumstances, even when you're not in it. This prophet had told them, here, go do these things. He, somehow, let me go back. I want you to see it. Um, go to your, uh, shut the door, pour the olive oil from your flask into the jar, setting each one aside when it's filled. He's telling her, this is going to, you're going to have full ones. Did you catch that? I, I, I never caught that before. I always thought he's with her. I thought she, he was in the room. That, that's how I heard the story. But it wasn't, not at all. And they were filled to the brim. She had nothing. It's as if the prophet were saying, listen, you don't have enough of emptiness. You've told me that you have nothing in your house except a little oil. And I want to tell you that you are empty, but I really want you to get really empty. Are we empty enough? And I have a funny feeling in our very prosperous culture, uh, we got some things to learn about emptiness and yielding and trying to control everything, including our future, our finances. That does not mean we don't put effort into it. You're going to see something in just a moment. John Maxwell said this about this story in a sermon, this sermon. He said to the widow, to gather up all of the nothing that you have, go out into the neighborhood and borrow all the nothing you can get. <laughs> Then go back to your empty house, close the door, and be with the two boys that you don't have and see what God can do in your life. They were going to take the boys. They were already gone in their minds. The creditors had said, you owe. She's toast. This is a huge thing. However God wants to spin this in your heart and emotions, fantastic. Let him speak. I have a funny feeling that sometimes we in our Western culture, are hoarders. And I'm not talking about the hoarding show, which is ridiculous, okay? My wife loves watching that one. We get a lot of cleaning done after that show every week. <laughs> <laughs> Most of you know the household I grew up in was a hoarding house. I saw it firsthand. I lived in it, and then I had to clean it up when I sold the house. Holy smokes. But anyway, the whole idea of hoarding, and my, honestly, the hoarder show reveals what happens when it gets gangrene on it, all right? That's what hoarding does. When you get the gangrene of hoarding, you, it's a sickness, and you, it just goes rampant and destroys everything in its wake, including your soul. 
I've seen it firsthand, especially when I went through the basement of my parents' home. They had these survival stupid kits for Y2K. Did we make it? And how many authors made a killing off of writing about it? Christian authors. And then they rewrote the next book of the next thing because, oh, that prophecy didn't work. Like, seriously, I remember, I remember one time, uh, one of, I better not use names. There was a prophecy book, and I believe it was the 2K one, and a really prominent author, big one. Um, uh, all of his books were put into the foyer free. They should have said free kindling. But anyway, it said free, you know, uh, because the prophecy didn't work. But there's a mindset that says, hey, if I am okay... Good. Sucks to be you, though. I got my stash. I have my piles of protection just in case. I've got my nest egg. And there's zero sense of generosity, but rather self-preservation. Do you see the difference between those two things? Generous people are much happier. That doesn't mean you give away absolutely everything and have zero to survive on. That's not what we're talking about. Real generous people, honestly, and sometimes wealthy people are quite generous. But guess what? It comes back. It recycles. As you're generous, more comes back. You have more to give. And it's just, but nobody else trusts that because of self-protection. Wow. There's one culture that I know of, the Japanese culture, When they've gone through earthquakes and trouble, they do the exact opposite. Where here, we hear that the uh, power's going to go out or there's a tornado or a hurricane coming. What does everybody do in certain places? Hoard. They go all the toilet paper they can possibly buy. Seriously. All the shelves are clear. All the vegan sections are totally full. Nobody touches that. Uh, It was a joke. Joke. I'm allowed to on that one. I saw a picture of it. That's why it was funny. <laughs> but they buy, they hoard, they quickly make sure just in case. And is there wisdom in being prepared? Yes, there is. But there's still self-protectionism. There's fighting over it. We see it at Christmas time. And big sales of people getting trampled just because they want to hoard to grab something that may give a sliver of happiness for a millisecond because they're giving a gift to somebody who will never remember after three months what that gift was. And yet somebody died over that. That's not the way of the Japanese. And I don't believe it's the way of our Father. I don't think it's your way or my way. It's, it's the way of a culture, but it's not the way of your identity. Your identity is one with Christ. You're a generous person. You're one who sees the needs of others first, above your own. Others-centered, agape. It's pretty big. Here's a question. Is it possible... That if you're not experiencing, I'm highlighting this word, okay? If you're not experiencing God's presence and provision in your life, you may not be empty enough. Some people are begging for a closeness. They want to feel God, all right? And I'm not talking about this hyper-prosperity thing. I'm talking about provision, knowing you are cared for, your needs being met, you have enough to give away as well, all right? When we have enough to give away, that, that's pretty amazing. And if you think you're not there, you're actually there right now. You're there now. You have enough to give away right now. Watch what happens when you begin to do that. And I'm talking about the word experiencing. 
Otherwise, somebody's going to type an email or post something, yeah, but you're talking about this and that. No, I'm not. I am talking about the experience of the presence and peace of Christ that I know I'm provided for and that he is present with me. This is not about the lack of presence. We know that here at Hope Fellowship. There's no such thing as the absence of God. He holds all things together. He is everywhere. So it's not about presence. It's about the awareness of the presence. Experiencing it is similar to awareness. Is it possible that you may be trying to help God out and are living from a mindset of self-reliance instead of dependence? Jesus came not to be served. He came to serve He did the exact opposite of what any king, ruler, prominent, famous person comes to do. Remember the widow? She tried everything she possibly could. Her effort was valiant. It's okay to have difficulty and try everything. That's not a bad thing. But keep in mind where your source is and who your source is as you wrestle through those things. Because I believe the Holy Spirit will trigger ideas to you, either directly to your mind or through a good friend or something like that, or create a circumstance that will allow you to see, oh my goodness, this is my pathway out, because he's with you. I really believe that. Here's another story. 2 Kings 6. One day the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, As you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them. Let's go ahead. What a weird start to a story, isn't it? Well, you need to know there are these schools of prophets, and Elisha was one of the leaders of them. Elijah was as well. But this particular group, there's, there's a bunch of things going on. They, they stayed together. They were not rich. That's for sure you'll find out in just a second. So these guys then said, please come with us to Elisha. And he said, okay, I'll come. So he went with them. When they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried. It was a borrowed axe. Where did it fall? The man of God asked. And when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick, threw it into the water at that spot, and the axe head floated to the surface. Grab it, he said. And the man reached out and grabbed it. What a silly little story. Hmm. Why is this one possibly important? Well, first lady, she had lost everything. Okay, And the prophet felt her pain. This is one man who loses an axe head that was borrowed. How poor do you got to be to have a borrowed axe head? Like seriously, you got to be pretty poor. But he cared for the one man. You may think, yeah, well, me helping somebody's not going to make a big difference. It'll make a difference to that person for that moment. You can't plan next week's problems. <laughs> and you also can't, oh, I'm saying it. You can't plan next week's generosity either, as in what's coming and going, oh, man. Okay, I'm preaching to myself again. <sighs> Observation. How poor do you got to be to borrow an axe? 
Mercy was shown to another person who had nothing. Mercy was shown to the woman. Mercy was shown to this man who now had nothing. He was hoping to use the axe for whatever they were going to do. He couldn't, he couldn't afford to pay for it. Grace wins when it comes to searching out and helping those who need it most. And this is the beauty of these two stories. God sought out and was merciful to each of these two individuals. And there's, the Bible is filled with awesome stories like this of surrendering our self-reliance. God has placed you in certain places to help certain people at certain times. Every one of us, whether it's a kind word or a large financial help or a small financial help. Seriously, this is, we have to remember God knows all things. And I believe he still has stuff worked out well in advance. It's like the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. God orchestrated that whole thing. He weaved it all together, however we want to word it. Okay, I want to be careful with my terminology here. But even Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant this for good. He learned so much from that long story. Jesus also attracted emptiness, was attracted to emptiness. The disciples are with him when a great crowd appeared. The Bible says that Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The moment Jesus saw them, he saw that they were spiritually bankrupt, empty. They had nothing, nothing spiritual and nothing to eat. And guess what he does? He meets the physical need first and then clearly addresses the spiritual need as well. But he doesn't make them feel bad for it. He doesn't trick them into saying, hey, okay, I'll, I'll give you spiritual stuff you need, but eat first, I'll make sure that's there, but now you have to stay and listen to the rest. <laughs> it wasn't a coercion. It was a want to. They wanted to be with Jesus they're in a place where there were no stores. And where is there a possible corner store in that country back then for 5,000 people? They didn't exist. Christ demonstrated for over 5,000 people what he can do with nothing. For that little tiny meal that was turned into feeding the 5,000, that, that's considered nothing. That's a little kid's snack. And that's what Jesus did. So with your nothing you're concerned about, with my nothing that I am concerned about, with my fears of having even less of nothing, or less and less, whatever it is that my, my concerns are, I'm going to surrender these. But I may have a couple of hissy fits along the way, okay? Emotionally, it, it's okay. But I do trust the Holy Spirit to bring me back to center, to bring me back to surrender, so that I don't stay in that place of spin cycle. But instead, live from a place of trust. God, you got this figured out. Maybe the plan I have, maybe my PowerPoint presentation to you of how my life should pan out, uh, maybe it needs a little bit of correcting. Oh, shoot, delete it? Oh. Really? <laughs> yeah. We may have our plans, but the Lord determines the steps. I think that's somewhere in the Old Testament. Proverbs. John 2, verses 1 to 12. This is an awesome miracle of emptiness, and we've celebrated this one here. The whole idea of the wine. This is Christ's very first miracle. And he's at a wedding. 
a story of him taking nothing and turning it into wine. They ran out of wine. They had none. There was none left. Either this was a really good party or there's a lot of wedding crashers. Okay? It happens. It's, it, you hear about it all the time. There's even funeral crashers now because the sandwiches are free. It, it's weird. Uh, it, it happens. It's funny. I try and do it weekly. <laughs> just, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> they ran out of wine. And Jesus takes the empty cleaning containers, says, fill them with water, and go take them. And he turned it into the best wine. So the axe head, isn't that nice? He saved what was lost, the rusty thingy, whatever that was. And Okay. He cared enough of something that you and I would just go, whatever, just go buy another one. But he saved that little thing. He also took care of this kind of a problem and making really good wine. Now, why, you could think, well, why didn't he just give them a chainsaw back then? Then they don't have to worry about the axe. Let's, let's overbless them, right? <laughs> I'm showing you that God blesses in small ways and large ways. And it's not in your control to determine which one he sends your way. But it is in your control to begin recognizing all he has already sent your way. Join me in my 2020 hindsight vision. Begin to take stock of the blessings you have been given and begin walking in thankfulness. And I'll tell you this, this will happen. Your grumpiness will go away. Your depression will rise and become a thing in your memory, because our gratitude for the things we do have and have experienced will create a new hope in us. That's why we call this place Hope Fellowship. There's more power in that than I ever thought. That's why I called this the hope-filled perspective, a hope, finding hope in all these things. You'll always find Jesus interested in the nothingness of humanity. He goes for those who think they are nothing. He went for the ostracized and kicked out. The very people that the Jewish leaders and religious leaders were judging. Here's some lessons on emptiness. It can be a gift from God, either directly gifted or waking up to an awareness. The awareness or walking through having nothing can be a gift. Be careful you don't turn this thought into God did this to me. It's a very bad concept of God because that trail runs down from scary paths. All right? Perhaps what you're now experiencing is a gift, just like Joseph in the Old Testament. He had to experience it. He was not too thankful necessarily through all of it. I'm sure he had hissy fits. I'm sure he had emotional roller coasters. But he still came back to center and recognized God as being the source of this whole journey. Emptiness means that I have a need if I am empty, I'm empty of something. And that emptiness encourages me to search. And the thing we need to become empty of is self-sufficiency. We need to become empty of our ego, empty of our flesh so we don't live from that, but instead allow us to live from not lack, but from the fullness of Christ. And then we realize, oh, maybe we're not empty at all. The things you need to be empty of 
I tell you, let that, oh my goodness, you want to be empty of that. And instead you get to experience the fullness of Christ in you. And when you believe that, you're not empty of anything that concerns you anymore. Emptiness motivated the woman to go to the prophet for help. Emptiness brought a Samaritan woman to the well. Emptiness helped a prodigal son stop and think in the pink pen. He had nothing. What does emptiness motivate you to do? Does it make you crawl in the hole with self-pity? Sometimes. And that's okay for a short time. Don't stay there. If you see somebody in it, find a kind way to help them out. Or just love them. There are many who are running on empty, running from relationship to relationship, buying and buying to fill a need, trying to avoid dealing with the solical, most important issue, your true source. If you're trying to get value and meaning from everything else in life but from Christ, it's a difficult road of brokenness. It really is. We may not be empty enough. We may be too self-reliant. I think it's possible for us to have some emptiness, but not enough for God to fill us the way he wants to. And when I say fill us, I'm not talking about having nothing of God, and now we have much more of God. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's the awareness that we're not already full. We think we lack. We speak from lack, but we're not lacking. Let's begin to change our mindset where we're thinking from. She shut the door behind her sons. They brought the jars to her and kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another. We have to admit we have emptiness. I have to admit, Father, I've been struggling. I've been in a spin cycle with my own concerns, trying to figure out my future on my own. Does that stop me from making every effort? No. But now I will live from a place of peace as I pursue those things and not be as anxious about it, which is sometimes hard. It all depends on your personality. There has to come a time when you can't hide it anymore. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply some of your needs according to his riches in glory. <laughs> he will supply all of your needs. Needs? Needs. What about the wants? Hey, listen. If he's going to turn water, which is a need, into wine, which is a want, that's pretty cool. And I think we have experienced both. There's room for both. See yourself in God's purpose and plan as it relates to provision. He has not forgotten you, and that's the point of today. You're not alone. He's not abandoned you in your concerns, in your worries, in your future planning. Let him guide and direct your paths. Yeah, this is it. This is the one. This is the big kahuna. Listen to this. I, I never saw this until last night. The triumph of God's love. So what does all this mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could ever stand against us? That's great news. Fine, that's not the good news of what I want to get at. This is, for God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, here it is, 
He certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Holy smokes, do you know what this is saying? Do you know who God is? This will call into question how big and good you think your God is. This is now about your perspective on who you think God is. Is he one who just gives you just enough, you know, keep you humble? Okay, there, your needs are met. Go away. You know, wait till the next time you whine. Or is he a God that just doesn't care? Is he a God who's easily ticked off? Or is he a God who's crazy about you? And has already, already, already blessed you with every spiritual blessing. That's your God. But it's hard to see that picture when we're struggling with our own stuff. Especially if we think God caused the problems. He didn't cause the problems. He's there in it with you, being your strength and source. He's with you, holding you, crying with you, hugging you. When you've gone through a heavy pain, a loss, he's there with you for the one you've lost. He was with them when they ended up leaving this place of earth. He was with them too, not absent from anyone. Your God's good. The problem is the religious world does not teach that. So let's wake up. Let's wake up to the goodness of God. Let's live from a place of constantly having to trust that that flask of oil, as it's pouring, like that, that, that's got to be a really cool miracle. Okay, these two boys, they have stories to tell for the rest of their life. You're not going to believe this, but when I was 14, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that's where our money came from. <laughs> the provision was there. Look back in your life. How has God provided for you? And if he has already, I promise he still will. He still will continue to bless you. Just don't give him the plan of how he's supposed to do it. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> Just being honest. <laughs> it's not easy. All right. Let's pray.